أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجه بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Probably going to be our last uh, class on stages of akhlaq, inshallah. We want to cover as much as possible in this last class and finish the book, inshallah. So we finished with tawheed, and now he moves on to ittihad. And tawheed, we said, was two types. We had the theoretical tawheed, then we had the actual tawheed or active tawheed. Then he moves on and he says that we also have ittihad. Ittihad means being one. So if Tawheed was to make things one actively, this is being one. When two things come together to be one, okay? So um, it'll be a level higher than that. Becoming one with something else. Now, he makes a disclaimer in the beginning because he says that people are misunderstood sometimes and they think Ittihad means that you become one with God as if in, in wujud and in existence you become one, which is not the case. <clears throat> and it's also not the case that it means that God comes and becomes one with something else. Okay, so both are refuted, both are rejected and unacceptable because both have to do with existence. But he says what is meant by ittihad or being one with something else is that, um, let's say, it is oneness in shuhud, not oneness in wujud. It's not that two things have become one in their existence now, and that there's only one thing. Those two become one thing in their existence, but no, rather the way you see it now, the way you're witnessing it, the way you're experiencing and perceiving it is oneness, not two-ness anymore. Okay? He gives an example for this. Um, and I do have to say this before I go on. When you read into this ittihad, you look at tawheed, you look at the other things that we've said in the past as well, you notice that the lines are very, very faint here, at least in my eyes, or at least based on the way that they're explaining it. Sometimes you feel like there's overlap, number one. Number two, it also seems that once you reach that tawheed that we talked about in our last session, that from there on, it's not like someone will stop at tawheed, will never make it to ittihad or will never make it to wahda and all of that. I don't know, this is my guess, that once you've reached here, it's just a matter of time. And it's just a matter of development and refinement of yourself that you will eventually get to that final destination. I don't think, I highly doubt a person can get this far and then doesn't make it to the very end. Because these, there's so much, it seems, overlap and there's so much, the lines aren't really there anymore too separate these but there are some separations at the end of the day at least theoretically speaking so he says and when a person reaches this ittihad which means that their shuhud of everything they everything they see Allah is next to it as if and I don't even like to use that word next to it because that's not what he uses here in the book but I have no other choice that's the only word I can use it says that this person this traversing individual this salik will see uh, the entire world and universe as a sign of His, something that's pointing to Him, a manifestation of Him, of Allah. 
and will not see any existence for anything else other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everywhere this person will hear the sound of God, the voice of God through everything. And then he gives an example which makes it a little bit clearer. Um, albeit for some it might be a little more confusing actually, but you know, <laughs> that's how Irfan is. The more confusing it might be, the better it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> for us it's confusing, for them it's not. Maybe they're trying to bring it into words and it gets hard uh, to explain. We're trying our best to figure out what's being said here. So the example he gives is the example of Prophet Musa salam and the burning bush. What did the burning bush say in Surah Taha verse 14? It says, Innani anallahu la ilaha illa ana. That verily I am Allah, the one that there is no Lord except me. He says when he heard this, it didn't mean that that, that tree is God now. Okay, so that, that, that's a rejection of <clears throat> what we said initially. It is not oneness in existence. So he says it's not that the tree is saying I am God, but rather this tree when it says I am Allah, it is negating from itself any me-ness, ananiyah. Okay? It is saying that this tree when it says that I am Allah, in reality, what it's saying is that I don't, I don't have any existence for myself. Anything that's coming from me is from Allah. So negating meanness or any type of, let's say, existence for myself, and only confirming and validating the lordship of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Not that the bush is a lo is lord now, no, but rather this bush. Everything that it is saying is just a reflection of what Allah wants to say. So all that you see in this bush is Allah right now, not that the bush is Allah. He says, in other words, it's as if this bush says, I don't see myself anymore. I don't speak of myself or on behalf of myself anymore. And the speaker is not even the tree to begin with, but rather the tree or the bush is a reflection or a mirror of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, that was Musa. And he is a recipient of this signal that is coming from the bush. But he says it doesn't stop at Musa salam and that bush. He says that anyone who is going to be like Musa salam will hear the call of Innani an Allah. Okay? Musa heard it from the bush. But if there are other Musas out there, they will also hear it from this bush. And then he recites, he, he brings a line of poetry. He says, Musayi nist ke ta sota an al haq shenavad, varna in zemzeme an dar shajari nist ke nist. That there isn't a Musa out there to hear the sound of and the voice of an al haq or the line of an al haq, I am the haq. There isn't a Musa out there. Or else this whisper. This uh, sentence, this statement is not something that you find in the tree only. It's everywhere. And so that brings us to another point. If there was another Musa, he would have heard from that same bush what Prophet Musa heard. And also, it's not even restricted to the bush, but rather, he recites this verse now. He says, everything is actually uttering Allah, Allah, Allah. And, 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 and hailing and uh, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Isra verse 44 says, وَإِن مِن شَيْءٍ 
There is not a thing out there. Shay means object, thing. <clears throat> Except that it glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The problem though is walakin la tafqahuna tasbihahum. You don't understand their tasbih. Now here it doesn't say la tasma'una. You can't hear it with the physical ear. It says la tafqahuna means that you don't have knowledge of it. You don't get it. You don't you don't have cognition of it. Fiqh means to dive deep into something and the understanding of something, to have a deep understanding of something. So this is one of those verses that, you know, there will be different tafsirs for. And they're not mutually exclusive in my opinion either. Um, yes, when you look at everything, it is with, with its existence saying, hey, I don't exist on my own. My existence comes from somewhere else. Metaphorically, it's as if it's uttering this. But it seems that Ayatollah Jawadi here is making a point more than that, beyond that. He says that, no, no, it's as if if you were to listen the way Musa could listen, he could hear them, he could hear this utterance. Yes. So, we don't have enough Musas out there or else there's enough burning bushes out there. All of the, he says, all of the creatures out there, all of the objects and Anything that's been created out there is saying in one way or another, I am not independent and I am just reflecting someone else. Just like a mirror. When the mirror is showing movement in itself, when the mirror is reflecting images and all of that, if you were to ask the mirror, what do you have of yourself? It will say nothing. And so here it kind of starts making sense, the stories we hear. Um, one of my favorite stories back in the past, and it was one of my favorite stories because I didn't know what it meant. Now I'm kind of getting what is meant through what Ayatollah Jawadi is saying here. But <clears throat> one of these stories goes that some of these individuals, I don't even want to call them great scholars. You don't know who they were. They might not have even been scholars, but they were interesting individuals. That they would go in the haram of Imam Ali salam, and they would just sit there in the corner. They would draw their cloak over their head, it says. And they would just look at the people and watch the people as they move and come and go. And in all of this, they see Allah. You're like, what does that even mean? Well, it's kind of like the burning bush and Musa salam. That's what it is apparently. <clears throat> so this is ittihad, being one. Everything out there is, alaykum, is being one with Allah as if in the sense that you can't look at things and not see Allah connected there with it, coming with it, paired with it. Once again, I don't like to use the word paired, that's the best word I can use though. When two things are paired to each other, it's like as if they're one thing, okay? Ittihad. But then you have now Wahda, he moves on. Wahda. Wahda means oneness. So if we're gonna say Tawheed, we say making one. Actively making something into one thing. Ittihad means being one. Wahda means just oneness, okay? And as I said, the lines are kind of blurred as to what's going on here. And we can say that there is some difference between them. Why? Because in ittihad, what we had was two things paired always next to each other as if they're one thing. Then here though, it says that <clears throat> the arif reaches a point where, and by the way, I know we're going very deep and all up in the skies and heavens right now, but these are the last few sessions that ha have been like this or else all of the other sessions we had, they were much more practical. 
but it's not a bad idea to see what's going on way up there too even if we can't get there but who says we can't get there though it's wrong to say that i believe if we don't get there here in this life we'll get there in the barzakh inshallah or yawmul qiyamah it's it's going to happen eventually so this arif it says that at this point of wahda before he would look at the burning bush and that would reflect allah he would hear the bush, the bush is reflecting Allah's voice, so to speak. Very hard, heavy air quotes here. God's voice. But in this, at this point, he says <clears throat> that the Arif doesn't even look at the other creatures and objects and beings out there and doesn't hear their voice even. All this person hears is directly the voice of Allah. So get rid of everything else. Nothing else plays any role whatsoever. This is so much different. I know ittihad and wahda, they're from the same root. Yeah. But there I think there's a big difference here actually. If so, if 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 someone can accomplish this or Allah blesses blesses them with this. And you'll see what I mean because we'll get to some of the angels and how they are, and then you'll see how amazing this is actually. He says that it's not like there's a multiplicity, there's other things. And then this person says that they are the mirrors of the Jalal and Jamal of Allah. Yeah, of the beauty of Allah and the might of Allah. No, it's not even that anymore. It's that everything is there, but this Arif has reached the point that they don't see other than Allah. Remember we said shuhud, how they see things, the perspective, how they witness things, what they're experiencing. Yeah, and so he makes this final statement here again. Not that you see everyone and everyone's the mirror of Allah, rather they don't see anything else. Okay. Now, when you reach this point, he says, look, when we were in Taslim and all of that, that was something that had to do with what we do. Taslim, submitting to God and the other stages that were there. Then when we started with Tawheed and then we went to Ittihad and all of that, these were not stages of anything practical anymore that we can do. They had to do with our shuhud and perspective and perception and how we witness things, okay? He says each of these had its own limits and boundaries, but when you enter wahda, that itself is never ending anymore to an extent, okay? Yeah, these are all never ending now. I'm just, I'm just gonna read off of it. When you're in shuhud, he says the journey is never ending. Because you are journeying amongst the names of Allah, the Asma'ullah now. And this is unlimited. Before this, now he starts citing the four journeys of the transcendent philosophy of Mullah Sadra, okay? Um, he says, look, when, you are, when you're journeying from khalq to haq, from creation to, to the truth, which is Allah, okay, you reach God. Okay, so that's the boundary, reaching God. When you are journeying from haq ilal khalq bil haq, when you're journeying from the truth, Allah, down to the creation of God, okay, where is that? You have an ending point there as well. But when you are 
in when you are journeying within haq bil haq through haq and all of that and it's all haq and it's all asmaullah and it's all the names and qualities of allah when you're there it's never ending he says yeah it goes on and on and on because the qualities of allah the names of allah are never ending and that's why he once again bursts our bubble and he says look even in wahda though there is still a little bit of kathra and multiplicity still. Multiplicity meaning a little bit of attention towards other things other than Allah. Although it's higher than Tawheed. Yes, but he says it still has that little scent of and touch of multiplicity. Because when this person looks at everything else and sees everything else as annihilated within Allah and then says, okay, then everything, nothing exists except Allah. Still here, we have a little bit of multiplicity. Just the fact that you are negating. When you say, La ilaha illallah, okay? When you are negating everything and then you say, It's only Him, just negating everything is still a problem, He says, okay? He's way out of our, our league now, okay? He's way out there now. Ayatollah <clears throat> Jawadi, don't wait for us. You keep going. We're huffing and puffing down here. We're still. Jogging upwards, hopefully, as long as the trajectory is upwards for us, inshallah, it's good. <clears throat> but he says, just saying la ilaha illallah sometimes can be a problem, and then he starts talking about lahu illahu and stuff like that that's beyond my that's out of my league, as I said. Okay. <clears throat> and so, here he says, once you are going through all of this. You have to reach a point where, think about it, brothers and sisters, like if you're looking into a light, does darkness even come to your mind? Do you even see darkness? The, the light is in your eyes. Like there's no, there's no, oh, you don't even say, you might not even say, oh, there's no darkness out here. You just, all you see is light. If they were to ask you what's going on, you say light, light, light. That's all you say, you know? Here, there's no mention of anything else. If there's something moving to your right or to your left, if there's darkness to your light or to your left, it doesn't matter. You're in the middle of the light. So there's no mention of darkness anymore. Even in theory, you're not even thinking about anything anymore except the light that you're in. And so it seems that he wants to push us up this wahda to the point where that was perspective and shuhud and all of that. But if it reaches a point where your perspective is such that it's not even you're not standing back and looking anymore. You're in the middle of it all. You're in the middle of the light itself. You're in the middle of God's essence itself. And that for that, he uses the term fana. Fana means annihilation. Not that you don't exist anymore and your existence is annihilated as if, although there is some things, there are some things to say here, but it's just him now. It's just him. There's no point in saying la ilaha and negating anything anymore and all that, uttering anything, no, no, or, or thinking anything. Or, it's not even that. I'll, all I see is this. All I see is Allah. That you can't even see it to negate it. Right? It says when this person reaches this point and all they see is Allah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the angels that are muhayyam. That's the word for it. The muhayyam angels which comes from hayaman this word i had this is an interesting word i hadn't come across it before maybe i have i don't remember but when you look up hayaman it's 
like total burning like love something like that they are they're done man they're wrecked okay these angels they are different than any other angels we know of and i'll tell you why but before i get there he says this is where words even end fana is when there's no words to say anymore there's nothing to say anymore really <clears throat> what do you want to talk about when there's nothing else to talk about there's just one thing that's it don't even say one thing don't even say anything as if like, that's why this is a practical level to reach the moment you start talking about it in my opinion you've ruined it okay and so he says it's like they're like the angels, the Muhayyam angels. What about them? He says we have hadith that say that there are some special angels that are engulfed in the Hayaman of God. They are bewildered. They're lost. They're like done. Okay. They have no idea. They don't even know that, that anything else has been created in the, in, the, in the universe. Don't even say in the universe. Anything else has created. Anything else exists. They don't even know. Okay? So sometimes you say, La ilaha illallah. It means, okay, out of all the things out there, I am, I am taking away and negating lordship, independence and in existence from everything. It only belongs to Allah. So as a result, everything is like a shadow and God is the only being out there. This is child's play compared to what these guys are all about. As I said, the best word to use for them is the wrecked angels. <laughs> They're done. They have no idea even. This is beautiful. I've never heard this before. They don't even know that there's anything else out there to begin with. For them to start thinking, okay, are they dependent in their existence? Are they independent in their existence? They don't even know. Apparently, they don't even know that they exist. What is going on here? Like, How are you going to explain that? <clears throat> it says they don't even know anything other than God exists and has been created and hadiths to an extent he says they um, echo this idea he says that this bewilderment that they have is a praiseworthy one because I don't know if you remember I think we talked about this way back 10, 20, 30 sessions ago maybe that some bewilderment is bad okay, is not good is frowned upon the one that, uh, that has you lost and doesn't allow you to actually grow and traverse the path. But there's another praiseworthy bewilderment. And that's those who have reached the destination or are at the destination from the beginning. That these ones, um, they're bewildered, bewildered in the sense that they don't even know there's anything else out there other than God. So they're in the middle of the destination. You know, what more could you ask for actually? And to the point that this is very interesting. It says to the point Look at this man, to the point that <clears throat> when the Quran says that Allah told the angels to, to do sajda, okay, yes, all the angels actually did sajda, the Quran says. And the Quran doesn't make any exception, but he says some of the accounts that we have is that the muhayyam angels were, the, were an exception. They didn't do sajda, not because they don't want to listen to God, but they can't even hear any of this. <laughs> okay? They are totally oblivious to this. The command of God is binding on people who can actually be recipients of that and register that. Okay, 
So for example, you tell me if someone is knocked out, if someone is unconscious and you tell them, hey, it's time to do Salat. Is that going to do, is that going to, can we even say Salat is wajib on this person? To the point if that if you, if you lose your conscience while you're fasting, for example, yeah, your fast from what I remember is batil or Salat is batil and all that kind of stuff, right? So, um, and this is a technical, you know, uh, matter that taklif and wajib and haram, it doesn't even apply to the ones who, for example, don't have what it takes to be re recipients of that command. All right. Here, Allah says, do sajda. These guys, they can't even hear. They're somewhere else. Okay. And so it doesn't even, so I don't know if we can say that it wasn't even an exception for them. But whatever you want to call it, it was not either not, a, not applicable or like if you look at their forms that God had, like this angel, this angel, then this one, like do sajda, not applicable, right? There, Allah wrote N-A, not applicable. <laughs> I don't even care about these guys. They're, they're done. Yeah. And then he goes on to say that, hey, don't think that only the angels that are muhayyam can, are, are at such a level, but al-insanul kamil can also reach this level or has reached this level. The complete human being, like the prophets and so on. It says that not only do they are they oblivious to the world that they're in, oblivious, I mean, once again, we have to understand, like they're there and they're doing their thing and all of that, but on the, you know, there's another aspect of them that is going to be oblivious. Yeah. It says, but they are even oblivious to themselves and tawheed and ma'rifah of themselves and all of they're not paying attention to any of this. All they see, there's no irfan here, there's no arif here. The only thing that's here is the ma'roof, the, no, the, 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 the one that is known, which is God. When you have irfan, you have an arif. The arif means a person who has irfan of something, has ma'rifah of something. And that something is the ma'roof. Here it says that there's no arif for these guys, there's no irfan for them. It's just the ma'roof, just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. And which brings me to the story of Sayyid Hashim al-Haddad. Yeah. For him, there's a story, Sayyid Hashim Haddad, the liberated soul. Someone was asking about that book today. And I said, I don't know why this book has been translated. It's not, it's a wonderful book, but uh, it can be very confusing for some if they read it, at least some parts of it. The likes of Sayyid Hashim Haddad, the likes of Rajab Ali Khayyat, the likes of Sheikh Ja'far Mujtahidi. Um, these three, are, of course, none of them are scholars, by the way, which is interesting. They have some very, very interesting stories. None of which, or almost none of which, are applicable to us. And so you read their stories, that's fine. Take something away from it, that's fine. But understand that I, for now, I got I to gotta care about my wajib and haram. And if I'm really a superman or a superwoman, I'm going to do Salat al-Layl. That's about it. Okay? <laughs> I don't know what everyone else is, what the big, like, translating liberated soul, book, book this thick, how much of it will apply to me? Maybe 14 pages of it, out of 450 pages of it, all right? In there, you'll find very interesting stories about how Sayyid Hashim Haddad, for example, goes with one of, with Alama Tehrani, if I'm not mistaken, who's the author of this book. And they sit, they, he says, I've heard there's a woman out there who has really climbed that ladder of Tawheed, let's go and sit with her and see what she says. And they go and sit. And so I think I, this is a long time ago, I read the story. And so he starts asking questions from her. 
Sayyid Hashim Haddad starts asking questions from her. And these very deep Tawhidi ideas and asking about that and slowly she starts shaking because apparently that's how far she's gone. And so he's like, okay, Alhamdulillah, there's, we have something here that we thought there was something there that we could maybe attain. We, okay, we, there's nothing there for us, so we can move on. Things like this, or for example, Shaykh Ja'far Mujtahidi. Those of you who might, well, I don't, th- I don't know if, how many of you know about Qom and uh, that little mount that's over there, the mount of Khidr. Anyway, it says that he would go there, for example, and in the month of Ramadan, he would do his ibadah, ibadah, ibadah till iftar time. And then after, after iftar, he would make his way to the city because that, that mount is on the outskirts of the city. He would make his way to the city Maybe one or two hours later, he would have a meal maybe or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember it. But one time as he's coming down after a long day, a hot day probably of fasting and worship, Shaykh Jafar they would call him Shaykh Jafar but he wasn't a real Shaykh uh, in the sense of the you know conventional sense of the term. He's making his way back. Look at this. <laughs> he's making his way back to Qom. And like maybe an hour after he's walked towards Qom, he notices that he carried like an ant or two from the Mount of Khidr with him into the city. So what does he do? <laughs> he walks all the way back and puts the ant where it's supposed to be. Right? If it was me, I'd probably have the ant for iftar, man. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Now someone will read this and then will do it their own little weird uh, pseudo-ijtihad of Irfani ijtihad. You know, they might not have this ant problem. They'll have other problems and, you know, do their own weird thing. And then, you know, before you know it, this person probably kafir, man. <laughs> because it's too much. So these books, Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Jafar Mujtahid, these books from what I know has not been translated, but I bet you someone's translating it. Sayyid Hashim Haddad is also translated, but I personally think that some of it has to be explained. Some of it shouldn't even be read. Some of it is not applicable. For example, there's another story in there. That Shaid Mutahari, you've heard this probably, some of you. Mutahari one time was with Sayyid Hashim Haddad, who, by the way, was with Allama Qadi for 25 years. Allah Bachad was with Allama Qadi for like four years, from what I remember. Either him or Allama Tawatawai, four years, that's it. 25 years. Anyway, um, Mutahari is with him and they're talking about a good prayer. What's a good prayer supposed to look like? Okay. And Mutahari tells Sayyid Hashim Haddad, for me to pay attention from the start to the finish is a good prayer. To pay attention to what I'm saying. And we have hadith for this as well. How much you pay attention is how much your salat is accepted. Okay. Guess what Sayyid Hashim Haddad says to him? Well, who was I telling this the other day to? Oh, this was in another city actually. <laughs> yeah, that was another city. That was Orlando. Anyway, who... Uh, what does Sayyid Hajjim Haddad say to him? He says, my prayer, the best prayer is to, you know, pay attention from start to finish. Sayyid Hajjim Haddad tells him, well then, when do you actually pray? You know what I'm saying? You see, you can tell you've reached the peak of Irfan when everyone's just laughing now because we don't even know what's going on. All right. So it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's very, you know, we're laughing out of pain, you know, because, uh, Wow, look at that. When do you actually pray? In other words, you've idolized the words in your prayer. But, but this per- what am I supposed to do then? 
Sayyid Hashim Haddad, this he's telling Mutahari this, okay? Now I'm going to pick up this book that's been translated. And these publishers are going to hate me for this. But and trust me, it's not going to make a difference anyway. People are going to pick that book up anyway. But all I'm trying to say is this. They will read that story in that book. And then what are they going to start doing in Salat now? I don't know what they're going to do anymore. They're going to beat themselves up. Nothing's going to happen. Beat themselves up in Salat as in, you know, metaphorically speaking. Not, nothing's going to happen. But they, since they read this story, they think something's supposed to happen. And then in the end, they probably end up just putting the book aside and putting a lot of other things aside as well. No, 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 no. So these stories should be mentioned in my opinion. But they're just a reminder for us that, whoa, look, there's a lot, long way to go. Right? Don't settle for less when there's more. But at the same time, these stories have to be explained, have to be taken with a grain of salt, and we have to know who, we have to know who they apply to. All right. Now, I said all of that to say that in this book also, there's another story that has to do with fana that we're talking about right now. And of course, fana, you know, you'll find others. They will probably lecture. They can lecture about this for 10 nights or whatever. We're just going in a nutshell, just as much as the book says, okay? Well, fana, there's a lot more to fana than this. But he says that in the book, it says that Sayyid Hashim, and this is once again a story I read a long time ago, so hopefully I remember the important details of it. But back then in Iraq, in Iran, you know, other places, probably the subcontinent, Pakistan, all these places, you know, you have buses when you want to go out. Back then, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, it wasn't like today where you go online and you book your ticket. You would go on the bus or you would buy the ticket at the stall next to the bus, yeah? And you have to keep that hard copy or else you're in trouble. And so as the bus gets going, there's a guy, they call him the shagird in Farsi, the student, so to speak, of the driver the helper of the driver, who is probably going to end up being a driver in the future. And so he will come and take the tickets from people, tear the ticket, in, in other words, invalidate it, and you're good to go, right? Parentheses, back then when we would travel on the bus from like Qom to Tehran or Qom to other cities that we had to go to, they had a steel cup. And uh, if you got thirsty, and no one would water, had water bottles back then. And if you did, the water was going to get hot on the way. So you needed cold water. First of all, as you were boarding the bus, you would see the shagird. He would have a big block of ice with the same hands that he used to change the tire 25 minutes ago. Okay? Those same hands. He's washing this block of ice. I'm like, hey, you should be washing your own. Your, your, are you washing the block of ice of yourself? Because that's what you should be doing. Because you're still holding on to this thing. And then he would break it into pieces and then put those in a water cooler. Now, as you're going, this steel cup, I'm just telling you, this is also a way to reach Irfan. That's all I'm trying to say. You, the steel cup, 40 people would drink from that steel cup, but the water was so ice cold, it was worth it. You're like, either die from heat or die with a you know quenched thirst and just with the bacteria of 40 other people in you. So that's how it was back then. These old school buses, that's how it worked. The ticket system and all of that. Anyway, I, I, by the way, I never got sick from that. Um, I traveled a lot back in the day between cities. I had to go back and forth. Anyway, relatives, family, mother, father, things like that. All right. So saying all of this, the ticket system back then was like that. And so it says that we were traveling four or five of us. Let's say five of them. With Sayyid Hashem Haddad. So five, including him. And so this person who 
this shagird who would come and take the tickets to tear them, invalidate them. Um, when he came to Sayyid Hashim, he's like, where are your tickets? And he wanted to pay on the spot or something. And so he says, here, gives him the money for four tickets or gives him four tickets. He's like, no, no, you're five. Give me the fifth ticket. He's like, look, one, two, three, four. The guy's like, no, you. He's like, what are you talking about? One, two, three, four. Now here, Allama Tehrani, he explains it in his nice, sweet way. Um, that's because he had reached the point where he just didn't see himself anymore. Very interesting. Now, <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, right? You go out for dinner. <laughs> you go out for dinner and uh, it's time to pay. And you're like, what are you talking about? Don't count me. Like, I don't exist. You know, as a matter of fact, none of us exist. <laughs> So yeah, uh, but over there, I mean, Alam Tehrani explains it all and uh, how he had reached the point he just didn't see himself at all anywhere. And he says that this was a little bit of, or maybe one of the manifestations of his fana that uh, he just didn't see himself. Now, when you reach fana, which is interesting, Atullah Jawadi has some points here. I chose one of them. There are other points too, which are very I would say deep and unnecessary to cover really. He says that, look, we're talking about fana, which means annihilation, total destruction and just non-existence. You are non-existent, okay, within Allah, let's say, in your shuhud, whatever that is. And as I said, there are a lot of details here that we don't even know, I can't even cover and he doesn't cover. But he does say one thing until Jawad, he says, when you reach fana, okay, this fana and annihilation and just not, not existing anymore, e actually is equal to baqa in existence. Fana in shuhud equals baqa in existence. I keep wanting to say fil existence. I have to keep correcting myself. In existence. So what, what has happened is because you have stripped yourself of anything, any existence as if, any independence, any whatever fana entails. In other words, the only thing that exists really for you is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that's the case, right? You actually are becoming baqi through Allah. You are becoming eternal through Allah. Because it is only Allah's face or existence that will persist. And this is part of Alamatabatwai has a very nice point that he makes that we cover in our death course, the Barzakh course. Right? Those of you who are going to come to it tomorrow or whenever, the few days from now, remember this part. We'll get to that part where he's where he talks about how some people will be eternal through the eternity of God. Not through their own selves, but through the eternity of that God. The more it seems, the more we reach a point where we don't exist in our own eyes the more we exist, the more eternal we become. And that's what it's all about. It's all about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which brings us to the conclusion of uh, this book. Alhamdulillah, we made it this far through the ups and downs. Um, we even had a whole one year break because of COVID and all of that. And so Alhamdulillah, I never thought that we would finish or never thought, you know, never thought this day would come. But Alhamdulillah, it's here. We've ended here. And to just wrap it all up, really, to wrap it all up, uh, whatever we find through this book is that 
It's just all about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's about it. The more lower I am, the more importance I give to Allah in my life, um, the further I will get, the higher I will go. The more I rely on Him rather than myself, the, the farther I will go. The more I make Him the destination, the farther I will go. The more I understand that it's all about Him, His existence, the more I grow. The moment anything else comes into the picture, that's where I stop. These greats, their teachers would tell them, don't ever stop at anything. No matter what happens of these great experiences and all of that, the moment you look at that thing, it's over. Don't look at anything directly, look through it and just keep going forward and forward. Now for us, you know, as beginners, for us, the first initial point is to see Allah in everything when it comes to our actions and Allah's satisfaction, okay? To make sure that what I'm doing in life is in line with what He wants. At least have Tawheed when it comes to His commands towards me, His Tashri'i commands towards me. If I have that, which means that His satisfaction supersedes mine, overtakes mine, is a priority over mine and anyone else's, yeah, that is the first step. That is the first step. And what we've heard from these greats is that if you take that first step and you continue that first step, all of these stages that we looked at here, with some tweaks here and there, with some adjustments here and there, with some perspectives that we have to have here and there, but all in all, that main ingredient to reach that final destination is there. And it's impossible, they say, for Allah not to show you the rest of the way, either through introducing you to someone that you never knew before, to a book that you never had read before, never thought existed. But he will show you one way or another what the next steps are. The thing is though, let's not get caught up in this. Oh, I'm going to look for that special ustad. I'm going to look for that special book. No, the main steps are clear already for us. I remember either it was me or it was my, my brother who asked this, uh, my, my middle brother who asked this from Ayatollah Bahjat. Like the one thing I ever asked him in my life was this one thing that I asked him about teacher. The importance of a teacher, you know, the special teachers that they... And he said, look, the basics, everyone knows them. We all know them. As I said, the Salat al-Layl, the this, the that, the dhikr. The basics, everyone knows them. And once you, re once you take care of those, the rest will be taken care of in one way or another, okay? I'm paraphrasing here. He had another line that was more specific. Um... But, it's, but to the effect of that you'll figure the rest out if you've taken care of the basics. In other words, he was saying you don't even need an ustad. Everyone knows what the basics are. We just don't take care of the basics. All right. So with that, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing us to go through all of this. Um, some of it was applicable to us, some of it was not. But what's for sure is that this shows us that there's a lot more out there that we can strive for and pray for. At least we can do du'a for this, you know. At least we can do du'a. Oh Allah, give me a little bit of this. Versus if we don't even know this stuff is out there, we don't even do du'a for it. If I don't do du'a for it here, then I might not get it in the barzakh. I might have to wait till Yamul Qiyamah. I don't know. If I don't do du'a for it here, I might not get it when I'm 45, 55, 65 years old. No. So we do that. Let's put our tawakkul even when it comes to these things in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ask for the best and do whatever we need to do as well, as I said. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Any questions before we 
close this book. I, I bet the other guys did. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Why do you think I say these? I don't think these books should be translated. Yeah. So the question is, the brother is asking that um, when we hear the story of the bus ticket, for example, it's a little too extreme. It's like, okay, like, okay, good for you. You're way up there, but like you're living in this world, interacting with these people. So you can't just like sit there and be like, I don't see myself anymore and stuff like that. There's explanations to these things, okay? Um, but because the story doesn't come with the explanation, that's why I'm saying that these stories, maybe it's not the best idea to translate them. And a book like that's like four or 500 pages full of these things. And a lot of good nuggets as well, but like all in all, some people aren't ready for it, okay? One thing I will say, if you remember I said, for example, Sheikh Jafar Mujtahidi, one of the greatest. Very interesting stories you hear about him. Very interesting stories about how <clears throat> they gave him the option to see something that others cannot see. He said, I want to see, I want to see Ashura. They said, you can't bear it. We're not going to show you. I want to see, uh, what was it? Another one of these ones. I don't remember which, what it was. No, you cannot see that either. Eventually, they showed him when they had tied Imam Ali's hands and they were taking him to the masjid. And he couldn't bear that even. But that's how much they showed him. What does that even mean, showed him and all that? Whatever. What I'm trying to say is, you have all these interesting stories about him. Okay? But once again, you don't see the scholars saying, go and read these books. Sheikh Jafar Mujtahidi. Rajab Ali Khayyat, wonderful stories about him as well. But then you'll see some people trying to apply everything in that book. That What is it? The... Uh, uh, the elixir of love, uh, elixir of love, yeah, we say in Farsi. All right, so um, very nice stories once again. How much of it applies to us, right? And he might have even had given prescriptions for people. How much of it applies to us? You know, did you notice I said, oh, look, these three, which are some of the main ones, there are other ones too. Like, uh, what's his name? Oh man, I forgot his name. If I remember, I'll say his name. These ones, if you notice, I said they're not scholars. If you notice, I didn't say that. I said, I said they're not scholars. Excuse me, I said they're not scholars. And I didn't open it up more. The reason is because of this exact matter that we're talking about right now, at least in my opinion and my understanding. <clears throat> that the scholars understand what is to be shared with the masses and what is not. Even amongst these scholars, 
you will find, at least what I've observed, some are better at identifying the capacity of people and taking their hand. Why is it that the likes of Ayatollah Hassan Zada Amuli, for example, they will go and they'll have students, but in their very private circles and whatnot. Although he does say certain things that other scholars say, we wish you hadn't said these, but he says, no, I need, I need people to know at least this much is out there, you know. And so, but why is it that he has that? But then another one who's also a student of Alamatabatawi has hundreds of students and he has public gatherings. But then he keeps things to basics. And you notice that he takes the hand, he's actually taking the hand of a lot of people. Okay. As a matter of fact, one of my friends had run into Ayatollah Hassan Zada Amuli in the streets of Qom years ago. And he had asked him about this individual that I just mentioned, not by name, that hundreds would come to his gathering. You know what Hassan Zada had said? Hassan Zada Amuli alayhi rahmah had said? He had said that We've heard that this person, I've heard that this person is insansaz. He can build, he builds insans. Okay. So even amongst the scholars themselves, what you say, what you don't say, it makes a difference. I still remember as a kid, really, I would see my friends, some of them in the Hawza, when they pray, they're weeping. I felt bad. I felt like there's something wrong with me. And so I would go, I, I, I remember I went to this great that everyone acknowledged was a great, was one of the greats. And I asked them, like, I don't see, this isn't happening for me, but this friend of mine all the time is weeping. You know what he said? He said, that doesn't matter. Like the, the weeping part doesn't matter. What? Well, he identifies what he's supposed to say to me. Or else if he says something else, do this, do that, and it doesn't work or... It makes me feel bad. Who knows what's going to happen to me next? Okay. So this is the problem with some of these individuals who are very high up there. No doubt. How much can you, how good are you at identifying the person that's coming to you right now and taking their hand? And so, yes, these stories, number one, they're not supposed to be mentioned. Number two, you don't hear this much about the scholars, but you hear about these individuals. <clears throat> yeah. And number three is that, yeah, sometimes these things will happen. It's not like 24-7, Sayyid Hashim Haddad, you know, was doing these kinds of things or these things were happening. We don't know exactly how it was when he reached that point. Maybe he isolated himself. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. I don't know. What's for sure is for us, the path is pretty clear. We haven't traversed it yet. Yeah. And so when that point comes, we'll know what we're supposed to do, inshallah. Inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد